When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One, two, three. Is it possible that being left-handed gives you an advantage in music? If so, why on earth would that be the case? In today's episode, I'm going to try to convince Clint that left-handedness might just be the secret ingredient to musical genius. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, why are there so many left-handed geniuses in music? That's the age-old question. Okay, Clint, this might be the most important topic we've covered in our 60 episodes. This is so fascinating. It doesn't even make sense to me. I had no idea about this until I started digging in. But can we just take a moment first to appreciate that this is our 60th episode? Hey, right on. That's a milestone that I think we should celebrate. I'm proud of all the work we've done. It's been a ton of work. It's a lot of research, a lot of debates, a lot of really great comments from our listeners. But most importantly, so much fun to do this with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rich. 60, all right. Go age-old question. But here we are talking about something that is really quite obscure, but as you say, endlessly fascinating. Do left-handed people have some sort of advantage in music? Does a population of humans, lefties, estimated to be about 10%, have a creative advantage over the other 90% of the population? So what are we talking about? I'm going to start with a provocation, Clint. Okay. I'm going to suggest that three, maybe four of the greatest composers of all time were left-handed. You ready? Okay. Mozart, Bach, McCartney, (laughs) left-handed. It's also possible that Beethoven was lefty. His official biographer observed Beethoven using the quill in his left hand when he was composing. Ah, Let's just start there. Those are some big hitters. Like when we send something out to space, that's who we send. Right. Bach, Mozart, and McCartney. Those are the big three. And they're all left-handed. Oh, this is going to be incredible. This list of left-handed geniuses That was just the beginning. Oh, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's fascinating. And it's so long that I think we should break it up into categories. And I think we should start with guitarists. Great. 
Who is generally considered to be the greatest guitarist of all time? Certainly of the 60s. Certainly of the 60s. So you're not talking about Slash. I'm not talking about Guns N' Roses. Okay, okay. sorry, sorry. Okay, so what you're talking about is obviously Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Who is considered by many to be the greatest instrumentalist of all time. Talk to us about Jimi Hendrix. He was left-handed, except he wrote right-handed. Now, this is going to come back again and again today. You write right-handed. No, I I do everything lefty except Except, guitar. Okay. I bat left-handed. I golf left-handed. That's weird. But I write right-handed, and I play guitar right-handed. But I can play ping pong both hands. I think there's an ambidextrous thing to yes. music as well. Yes. Certainly for the, the, just being able to get both hands to do what you want simultaneously is a hard thing, especially on guitar and drums too. To be able to separate your brain from your handedness, there's and something th- in there. Yes, and Mozart was apparently mixed-handed. So he was left-handed, but apparently, as you say, ambidextrous with both hands. So Jimmy wrote with his right hand. Jimi Hendrix... Born in Seattle, Washington. When he was a kid, he used to carry around a broomstick all the time and just air guitar. Hmm. He was very poor. And some some social services person was like, we got to get this kid a guitar. And his father refused. And so he went on and found like a, a one-string ukulele in the dumpster and started teaching himself. Wow. Um, got arrested driving in a stolen car. He got the choice of either going into the army or going to jail. So he went to the army. He went down to Kentucky, I believe, joined the 101st Airborne Division. Long story short, he was not army material, let's say, but he, he was given a general discharge under honorable conditions. Hmm. But he was really close to Tennessee at that point. Eventually moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and started playing with all these amazing musicians. So he was in the Isley Brothers. Oh, get off of my back and move over. Oh, let me dance. That sounds like Jimi Hendrix. I want to really, I mean really, turn you on. Mm. During that time, basically did the Chitlin Circuit. It's a collection of performance venues considered to be by, for, and about black people. Where black artists could tour in the segregated South. That was the whole deal. So he quit the Isley Brothers because he was sick of playing the same set every night. Mm -hmm. Then he joins Little Richard's band. Gets kicked out of Little Richard's band because he was tardy. (laughs) He had all these stage antics. So like one of the things he learned in Seattle, like way back when, was he he saw this guy playing guitar with his teeth and he's like oh if you're gonna be a star you got to learn all these techniques so he learned to play with his teeth he learned to play behind his head learned all these ways so eventually he gets kicked out of little richard's band for his stage antics little richard needed to be the spotlight there's no other in little richard so Long story, eventually moves to New York City. And this is where we start to know who Jimi Hendrix is. So Jimi Hendrix is playing at the Cheetah Club in May of 1966 in New York City. And Linda Keith, who is the girlfriend of Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards, saw Hendrix playing at the club and 
introduced him to Chaz Chandler, who was in the animals and he was in, he was leaving the animals and he was interested in producing and managing artists. So Chandler saw Hendrix play at Cafe Wa in Greenwich Village in New York City in 66 and was like, oh, dude, this kid, there's something that I've never seen before in this in this kid. So immediately signs him. They go to London, puts the band together which is the Jimi Hendrix experience, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. And their first single was Hey Joe. First song I ever learned how to play on the guitar. Same. It's basically all the chords. It's all the chords. It's it's the caged system, right? Right. C-A-G-E and D. Right. Yeah, it's literally all the chords. That's so funny. I wonder how many guitarists... That was their first song. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. So Jimi Hendrix is considered to be the most innovative and creative guitar player. He did so much with sustain, distortion, stuff that's never been done on the guitar before. I mean, there's stories of him playing at clubs in London when he first got there, and it would be Eric Clapton, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Pete Townsend, all just watching this kid. Jaws dropped. Jaws dropped. Never seen anything like it before. Here's Pete Townsend. It was a bit like being thrown back into the days when when I had heroes like Chuck Berry and Jimmy Reed and uh, T-Bone Walker and people like that. It was like suddenly being thrust back into that. We were like a couple of schoolboys, you know, we used to ring up and find out his date sheet, pick one another up, get all excited on the way there and then stand in the front. Here's Paul McCartney. I probably saw his first gig in London, which was at the Bag of Nails, and we were just there one night having a drink, and he just ambled up on the stage in that <laughs> manner he had, and we were there, and the next time he played the Bag of Nails, then, then it was more homage. Yeah. People knew he was going to be there, so I remember one night, me, Townsend, and Eric were all there in the audience, kind of going, mm-hmm, <laughs> this is good. Friday, they'd released Sgt. Pepper, mm-hmm. the record company had released it on the Friday night. Now, Jimmy had listened to it Friday, Saturday, it was that weekend. And on the Sunday night, he opened with Sergeant Pepper. He'd learned it. And here's Eric Clapton. He was a great influence on me and uh, part of my growing up, you know, and like to... I know a lot of people idolise that guy and, and think, you know, think that he was the beginning and end of it, but I actually knew him and, I mean, that was a, a fantastic privilege. What is the definitive signature style of Jimi Hendrix? Could you put it into words? I can put it into examples. The beginning of The Wind Cries Mary, that double stop right there defines Jimi Hendrix. Hmm. After all the jets are in the boxes. Uh, Also, uh, Little Wing. Those licks of Little Wing are the essence of Jimi Hendrix. It's that, and everyone does it. I mean, from, you know, Dave Matthews, Jimmy Thing. That's why the song's called Jimmy Thing. It's because he's using that open low string, E string, to do that Jimi Hendrix thing. Yeah, so he's definitely got a signature, but he's also, he was just raucous and loud. And like, the other thing is he's lefty. So you see him and it's different right from the beginning. Right, because 99% of guitarists are right-handed. Well, she's walking through the clouds With a circus mind that's running around 
It's so interesting to watch the fingers of a lefty guitarist as a guitarist to try to learn what they're doing because everything is backwards. Your brain can't even like conceive of what they're doing. It's going to be hard to beat Jimi Hendrix. Okay, here's a here's a point of distinction that we need to discuss when we talk about guitar players and left-handedness. There's yeah. two types of left-handed guitar players. There's the left-handed where they use a right-hand guitar and they flip it over and restring it so that the low strings are still on top and it's just like a normal right-handed guitar, just backwards, restrung, lefty. Then there are the, the guitarists, the lefty guitarists who simply flip the right-handed guitar over and play with the high strings on top. And that is the biggest mind screw you've ever seen watching these videos of these people play. There's another guitarist from the 60s who was the pioneer of surf rock. Talk to us about oh, yeah. Dick Dale. So he played, he didn't restring it. He just used a righty guitar flipped upside down. So watching that dude play is confusing. He's basically the guy who invented surf rock. You know that sound? It's that super verbed out, single note, tremolo picking style. So that song, which everyone knows from Quentin Tarantino's movie Pulp Fiction, Dick Dale really invented a type of playing that is still used today and is credited with that and everyone knows it and just the sound of it too like he used middle eastern musical scales Interesting. so he really created something new so we've talked a lot about paul mccartney on the show of course he's left-handed and i've it occurred to me recently clint when i saw a photo of john and paul singing in some show from you know, maybe it was shea stadium where they're sharing a mic and the fact that he's yeah. left-handed and John is right-handed, they could get close enough on a microphone. Like there's something about the fact that one was left-handed, one was right-handed that enabled that really close collaboration. Absolutely. Like we've all tried to sing on one mic holding a guitar together and you got to back it. You got to do the E Street band where you're like lean back and there's just nothing ergonomic about it. But they could literally be face to face. Yeah. Face to face. Like, yeah, it's awesome. So one other lefty guitarist that really influenced the direction of popular music in the 1990s, Kurt Cobain. He was an interesting guitar player. It wasn't so much his skill as a lefty guitarist as his sensibility. It was less his musicianship and more that he was just unusual and different. And this is ultimately what we're going to talk about when, when we talk about what makes left-handed people musical geniuses. And I want to get back to that in a little bit. But there's also a category of guitarists or list of guitarists who are lefty but played righty. Right. Huge list. Let me go through this list really quickly. Joe Perry of Aerosmith. Noel Gallagher, the musical force behind the band Oasis. B.B. King. Paul Simon. Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins. And check out this two of the greatest guitarists of all time, two of my very, very favorite guitarists were lefties that played righty. Dwayne Allman of the Allman Brothers. Whoa. 
Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. I mean, you just named like the top 10 greatest guitar players of all time. Like, that's incredible. so fascinating. And those guys, the reason they played righty is because you just couldn't get a lefty instrument back then. There just wasn't an option. Like, you're a lefty now, you can buy a left-handed guitar. Back then, there was no option. If you wanted to play, you just learned to play righty. Okay, he's not a guitar player, but who's the most successful comedian of the 1990s? Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry yeah. Seinfeld. He's a lefty. Here's one of his bits about how the word left is associated with negative things. Because when you're left-handed, you put down for being left-handed. You know, it's always left. Oh, left words are always negative things. Leftovers. They're terrible. <laughs> Two left feet, left-handed compliment. You ever see a crook named righty? <laughs> you never see that. Everything right is a positive thing. Right on, the Bill of Rights. You go to a party, there's nobody there. Would everybody go? They left. <laughs> That's good. Okay, we've started to build a case for the outsized impact of lefties in music. But let's just take a few minutes to provide some background on left-handedness. Left-handed people, lefties, southpaws, make up about 10% of the population. 10%, that's one in 10 people. Throughout history, as Jerry Seinfeld just said, lefties have been viewed as unusual, freaks almost, but not just unusual, somehow evil. In the Middle Ages, left-handed people were accused of witchcraft. Just in my mother's lifetime, lefties like her were forced to retrain their natural tendencies and learn how to live in the world as right-handed people. Even scientists back in the day used to think that being left-handed was due to brain damage early in a child's development. Here's some science for you, Clint. According to Ronald Yale, professor of psychology at the University of Texas in Austin, we now know that handedness seems to be determined very early on in fetal development, when a lot of other things about your future are being determined as well. But how? A ton of theories abound. One British study found that it could be related to stress experienced by women while they're pregnant. The study claimed that fetuses of super stressed pregnant women were more likely to touch their faces with their left hands than their right. But does being left-handed change the way you think? According to psychologist Yvonne Thomas, the difference may be in how they approach problem solving. In clinical studies, lefties have been observed to have more dimensional problem-solving skills. Put another way, lefties are often divergent thinkers. It may be innate, but also growing up in a world largely designed for 90% of the rest of the population, you have to learn coping mechanisms for a backwards world. Some psychologists have made the case that this divergent thinking also accounts for the disproportionate amount of presidents that have been lefties. Consider this, Clint. Since World War II, there have been 14 U.S. presidents, and six of them have been left-handed. If you're reaching into your calculator, that's 42% significantly higher than the 10% of the normal yeah. population. The list includes Truman, Ford, Reagan, Bush Sr., Clinton, and Obama. 
but we're talking about musicians. So let's make our way from politicians back to musicians by way of other creative art forms. Who are the two greatest artists of the Renaissance? Michelangelo. Michelangelo and? <laughs> da Vinci. Da Vinci. Michelangelo and Da Vinci are both lefties. Wow. It's possible, of course, that because I'm lefty, I'm choosing to see a pattern here, right? <laughs> but let's add some more evidence for this case. We discussed guitarists. How about drummers who are lefties? Let's go by decade, okay? Great. Who's a massive pop star of the 2000s who's not necessarily known as a drummer, but that's his instrument? Justin Bieber? Justin Bieber. The Biebs. Lefty. Yeah, I've seen him drum. Yeah. One of the biggest bands of the 1990s with album sales north of 50 million, Blink-182. Travis Barker. Lefty. Yep. Clint, who was a drummer that was arguably the biggest star of the 1980s as a solo artist and as a drummer in a band? Phil Collins is lefty? Phil Collins. What? Another drummer from a massive band of the 70s and 80s. Stuart Copeland. Stuart Copeland of The Police, lefty. Now let's go to the 1960s. Two of the biggest bands of the 1960s, the Beach Boys and the Beatles. Dennis, Dennis Wilson yep. and Ringo, yep. both lefties. Carter Beaufort's also lefty. Let's take a moment to go to the comments. Let's go to the comments. In response to episode 59, which was our last episode about best workout songs, Eric G writes, Sirs, I believe the words you were looking for were Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue. <laughs> he adds also, you did it again. It's still the first podcast I recommend to friends. Nice. Nice. Right on. Thanks, Eric. About the same topic, Gareth shared with us a link to an article in The Ringer that's all about how the Alan Parsons Project song became the Bulls' walk-in music. Highlight from the article, Tommy Edwards, the legendary Bulls announcer, recalls, One night, my wife, Mary Lou, and I went to a movie. Before the movie started, the theater had some ambient music playing in the background. I leaned over to Mary Lou and said, I know this song. It's called Sirius. It's the instrumental opening to the Alan Parsons Project album, Eye in the Sky which I'd remember playing on WLS when it was released. I said, oh my God, this might be the theme to the Bulls intro. <laughs> the next day, I got the Eye in the Sky record and played Sirius over and over, reading the starting lineup with the track. Then I called the Bulls and said, I found the song. Ah, dun, dun, dun. That's awesome. Gareth, thanks for sharing that article. Okay, another comment from Steven on Facebook. Hey, Clint. Hi, Rich. Loved your episode about key changes and decided to ask Perplexity AI the question. Oh, wait. Yes. yes. We're using AI to figure out some of these questions. Here it is. Some of the greatest key changes in pop music include I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Check. We talked about that. Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Check. My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. We didn't talk about that. Did we not mention it? I don't think I should have said it. He goes on to say this, Perplexity AI offered this explanation. Key changes are used across multiple genres to inject energy into a song. 
pretty soon AI will be doing our, our research for us. Yeah, we don't even have to be here anymore. <laughs> we'll just sit on the beach drinking pina coladas. Okay. A massive artist that we haven't talked about that I want to hold for another episode is David Bowie. Because I haven't yet seen the recent documentary that came out about David Bowie and about his creative process. So let's hold a conversation about David Bowie, who is left-handed, to another episode. One thing we haven't talked about, about the edge that lefties seem to have in certain sports. In tennis, there's a disproportionate number of greats who are lefty. Martina Navratilova, considered maybe the greatest female tennis player, certainly of the 20th century. John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, current great Rafa Nadal. Who's the greatest hockey player of all time? Wayne Gretzky. Lefty. <laughs> In baseball, a significantly disproportionate number of the greatest hitters of all time. You mentioned you bat lefty. Yeah. Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., Ty Cobb, Lou Gehrig, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and of course, Babe Ruth. We also didn't talk about great scientists who are lefties, Clint. Huh. Consider the divergent thinking theory when I read the list of scientific innovators. Sir Isaac Newton, maybe the greatest scientist of all time. Gravity's big. Nikola Tesla. I don't know if you consider him a scientist, but certainly an innovator. Mark Zuckerberg. Huh. Bill Gates. Huh. These are people that changed the world. Is it because they were left-handed that they had some divergent thinking that enabled them to innovate in a way that righties couldn't. Is there, right? There's a difference between right side and left side of your brain. One is more analytical. One is more creative. Scientists deduced that the left brain was better at language and rhythm, while the right brain was better at emotions and melody. That's too is, much. I don't is, know if there's anything Is there, there. anything about being left-handed that somehow you can access deeper into the right part of your brain? I, right. So tell me about Dave. Okay. So in the show, we talk to experts whenever we can. We talk often to Jeff Simons. He's one of our favorite people. We're not talking in this episode, but I will say, guess what? <laughs> He's left-handed. <laughs> He's left-handed. We both went to Middlebury College and we're proud Panthers. And we're really lucky to know people from our era who've gone on to do really interesting things, careers in politics and music, theater, film, TV, tech, education. One of the most interesting examples from our era is a guy named Dave Wolman. Dave is an award-winning author and journalist. He's written pieces for the New York Times. In fact, his most recent long-form piece in the New York Times from about a month ago is called Set Adrift, and it blew my mind. I encourage anyone listening to just check out Set Adrift in New York Times. But he's written for Wired Magazine and a whole host of other publications. His most recent book is called Aloha Rodeo. And it's about three native Hawaiian cowboys who, in 1908, traveled 3,000 miles to Cheyenne, Wyoming to compete in the world's greatest rodeo. Oh, that's awesome. Mocked and counted out. These guys returned to Hawaii as champions of the world. It's like it's cool runnings of of it's incredible. <laughs> but in 2006, Dave wrote a book called A Left-Handed Turn Around the World. It's a brilliant and actually really funny 
exploration of left-handedness, cultural, historical, scientific look at being left-handed in a right-handed world. This was my conversation with Dave. Dave, how are you, man? Good, how are you? It's so good to have you on the age-old question. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited. This episode, we're talking about why are there so many musical geniuses that are left-handed? And we had to talk to you because, of course, you wrote a book that I love. I have it on my bookshelf, A Left-Handed Turnaround the World. What led you to write the book in the first place? What inspired the project? Uh, well, I'm the only left-hander in a family of six, and like a lot of lefty kids you know i was the recipient of the mug and the ruler and the special green handled scissors so like everyone else i was raised with these urban legends about left-handed creativity and left-handed superiority while simultaneously hearing all these stories about lefties are evils and left-handedness is the sign of the devil and school ma'ams whacking people on the knuckles with a ruler so they to make sure they write with the right hand and as i started my career in, in journalism and as in writing, this question emerged of like, okay, well, after all the urban myths, like what's going on? If you ask scientists, what what's happening with handedness? Like why, why is this like this? And so it sort of boiled down to this essential question, like what causes left and right handedness and how, if at all, are lefties different than the right-handed majority? And it seemed like kind of narrow at first, and what was fun and, and kind of rewarding about that project is those seemingly small questions connected to some much bigger themes and ideas about the evolution of the brain and origin of the species and language itself. And so suddenly it just, it just kind of took me for a ride. You talk about advantages or differences in sports, for example, baseball, golf. Did you ever get into left-handedness in music? A little bit, primarily in the form of that fun best of list that you were delivering. And this is one of the hazards of celebrating left-handedness more than is kind of justified scientifically, which is that you didn't follow up that quick hit list of Paul McCartney and Jimi Hendrix and so forth with a list of all the magnificent right-handed musicians, right? And so this happens a lot with left-handed people. It probably happens a lot with red-headed people, all this kind of thing. Like if, if I'm in a, a room where lots of people are writing or eating or something, and, and you notice like, wow, there are a lot of left-handers here. Like I've heard this, oh, Dave, there's so many left-handed kids that go to this school. Right. And is it statistically the case or are you just noticing them more? You're primed to be noticing fabulous left-handed musicians. And that's so, right. you know, that doesn't mean that's a bad thing, but there's a little bit of like a statistical reality check that somebody's got to provide you before you go on to this awesome discussion about how lefties are better, which you so should. This is, so this is fascinating. <laughs> so are you prepared to say that actually being left-handed or whatever contributes to being left-handed may also contribute to divergent thinking or you think there's just not a lot of there there it's both and i can that's not like dodging the question like it's both in a in a fantastic way right the reality check way is that individual to individual it doesn't matter right that person is not creative cuz they're left-handed just like that person is not vanilla and boring because she's right-handed. Like that is definitely not the case. It's also not the case that left-handers like quote unquote think in one side of the brain and right-handers think in the, that, that also is garbage. Because unless you're doing something more complicated than like wiggling a finger, you are marshalling 
computational firepower from both sides of the brain constantly. However, here's the delicious part. There has to be some benefit to the species to have left-handedness around. In other words, there's the diversity of brain organization in our species and left-handedness is one byproduct of that. It's like, it's like furniture arrangement. Like it, we don't all have the same arrangement inside the apartment that is the brain. And thank yeah. goodness, diversity of thought. If left-handedness were kind of disadvantageous to the species, it would have been bred out. So whatever phenomenon is making all of us who we are and the species as diverse as we are, like that phenomenon includes left-handedness. So for me, that's like, as an amalgam, left-handedness is this really special thing. It's, it's somehow beneficial to the species to have this diversity of brain organization happening. I choose to believe that it's both nature and nurture, that what happens to a person as they try to navigate a world that is designed not for them. Correct. And so you begin to develop problem-solving coping mechanisms that I think lead then to other attributes. My dad actually is the one who sort of helped me crystallize this idea that like in those countless micro recalibrations all day long, every day of your life with the ruler or the coffee pot or the scissors, lefties are making these little adjustments and and cumulatively does that position a left-handed person to then be a creative problem solver, a little more so than a right-hander operating in a world that's designed for right-handers. And, you know, it's kind of a tantalizing thought, particularly for those of us who are left-handed. Right-handers, I think it's just a giant eye roll to them right right now. (laughs) Well, Dave, I'm so glad you were able to take the time to talk to us. Thanks so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. That's amazing. So there you have it. A guy who actually studied this is skeptical that there's really anything there there. Now, I... 100% agree with him about the looking. It's like when you see a car that you've never seen before and you're like, oh, I like that car. And then all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. That's just a phenomenon. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back through our 60 episodes of the age old question and write down every time a name is mentioned. Mm -hmm. And from those names, what percentage of all the people we talk about, you and I are left-handed. And my guess is it's much greater than 10%. Because much we greater. mentioned Paul McCartney, we mentioned Jimi Hendrix, Paul we Simon. mentioned Ringo Starr, Paul Simon. Mark Knopfler. Like, Mark Knopfler. We've, Dwayne the, Allman. People that we mention all the time, turns out, are left-handed. So yes, yes, it's probably- We're overselling this, maybe. Maybe. But man, it's kind of weird. I do think there's something very interesting about this concept of divergent thinking. And I- It's perhaps a combination of the innate brain wiring and learned problem solving. But as you just said, the fact that all of these Mozart, Bach, McCartney, possibly Beethoven, innovators like Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Sir Isaac Newton, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, it's really, really compelling. It's really compelling. I'm willing to say right now that (laughs) Being left-handed is a benefit to songwriting. Is it possible that if you're born wired differently than 90% of the other people in the population, that you're inherently going to see the world differently? And by seeing the world differently, you're going to produce something innovative. I think we just touched on something here that I think Dave's got a new book 
he needs to write about left-handedness and musicians because there's so much here. Dave, time oh, for a part two. Part two. I'm my I, my my head is reeling right now. It just I really I'm gonna go back and look at all the people we mentioned. Yeah, actually, somebody else do that. If yeah. somebody else could just uh, <laughs> go through and listen to all the episodes and tell us how many times make make a little mark for each time we mentioned Paul McCartney, each time we mentioned Paul Simon. No, I'm just kidding. All right. One other announcement. Clint and I were recently on another podcast, Their Very Best, with Bill and Waldron. If you enjoy this podcast, we're confident you'll enjoy their podcasts. It's a lot of fun. This particular episode was about the Eagles. So check it out. Their Very Best. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who's been listening. A reminder to like and follow us. Share this podcast with at least one person who you think would enjoy it. That's how we'll grow. And also, please rate us on your app of choice because those ratings go a long way in getting us in front of other eyes. So five stars. We hope you had fun, as much fun as we did. And we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.